Welcome to the Academy of General Dentistry podcast series featuring Dr. George Schmidt. Each episode features experts in the field of dentistry who share insights and inspiration to help you succeed. Let's get started. Hey, welcome back, everyone. We've got a fantastic show for you today as we welcome the legendary, and I mean legendary, Howard Fran to the program. Hey, Howard, how are you? Great, George. Thanks for having me on the show. It's an honor. Well, we'll we're thrilled to have you here, Howard. I'm really looking forward to, to chatting with you over the next uh, 30 minutes or so. You know, and Howard really needs no introduction, but I'm going to, as a matter of formality, we'll read Howard's bio here. Uh, as everyone knows, he's the uh, founder and the owner of Dentaltown.com and Dentaltown Magazine. He's practiced uh, dentistry at Today's Dental in the Phoenix metro area for more than 30 years. In 2017, Edge Magazine ranked him among the 32 most influential people in dentistry. Dr. Fran has lectured internationally on the business of dentistry since 1990, and he's been captivating audiences with his blunt, humorous, and practical insights into the industry's most controversial subjects. His genuine passion for helping dentists provide faster, easier, higher quality, and lower cost dentistry to their patients is what drives him to this day. In 99, uh, uh, Howard released the timeless Your 30-Day Dental MBA series, and that's available on YouTube and iTunes. And boy, I'd really recommend everybody go and, and, and hit that up and take a look at it. It's fantastic material. Since then, he's released massive amounts of distinguished comment. His monthly Howard Speaks column in Dentaltown Magazine, the 11-part online CE series, The Virtues of Profitable Dentistry, and his world-renowned podcast series, Dentistry Uncensored with Howard Ferran, which has released more than 1,500 episodes and has been downloaded more an astounding more than 8 million times. Dentistry's uncensored guests include dental professionals from around the world, including top-tier specialists, dentists fresh out of school, CEOs of the world's largest dental companies, and experts in marketing, finance, practice management, and more. Uh, Howard also has a huge social media, media following with 300,000 Facebook followers, 25,000 Twitter followers, 35,000 LinkedIn uh, followers, and uh, not to mention more than a quarter million registered members on dentaltown.com. And of course, Howard, you have a couple of great books out there, Uncomplicated Business, which I hope maybe we'll chat a little bit about in a few minutes. And uh, one of my favorites, one of your earlier works, A Consumerist's Roadmap. Got that sitting on the shelf in my library. But you know, Howard, um, we talked about, I just mentioned social media and, um, you know, Dentaltown is really, or what was really uh, the social media back in the day. And when we first started out, we didn't have Twitter and Facebook and Instagram and all these kind of things. And everyone really went to, to Dentaltown to kind of post. How did that whole thing get started? Well, you know, I, I watched, it was in, remember that bull market from 94 to 2000 when these little companies like Amazon would go public and they'd go up like a gazillion percent. And I just, I just couldn't figure out the internet. And, um, you know, I, I was, um, one day it dawned on me because, you know, Dentaltown's whole motto was with Dentaltown.com, no dentist will ever practice solo again. And here I was straight out of school and I take an x-ray and I, I didn't know what I was looking at when I realized that I could make a website where you could post an x-ray and a photo. And then I could ask my older colleagues what the hell is going on. And my God, I just obsessed. I was not going to, I was so professionally isolated and lonely. I mean, you go from a dental school where you can go ask any department head to now you're sitting there uh, looking at an x-ray. And of course I hired an associate and he was the same young 
as I was. So dumb and dumber. I was too dumb to get an older guy that could help us. I got I got a younger fun guy, uh, Dr. Robert Savage. And, and uh, my God, we we're having fun. But when I realized I could um, not practice alone and it, it was just magic. And when we did that, we were, but we did that in 99. Facebook didn't come out till 2004, five years later. And for five years, that was about the only place you could go and, and talk to another dentist. And dentists are weird that, you know, the one across the street doesn't want to help you because he thinks he's competition, but the one in a different state or a different country will gladly help you. And it was a special place and, and it's still going strong just because all the relationships, so many people are still on there because that's where all their friends are. Well, it really is a special place. And like you said, I mean, I, I remember going on going on to Dental Town, you know, way back when. It's so much great content, such a community, like you said, where you can ask questions. I mean, you also have CE and a lot of other things on there too. Yeah, yeah. Big online C courses, the classified ads. I mean, any new piece of equipment you're buying, you can get it used, you know, half the price. Uh, but I'll tell you, the AGD was the big game changer for me before Dental Town. And that is uh I, I noticed whenever I went to CE courses, all these guys had this FAGD, MAGD. And then by the end of the first year, I realized everybody that goes to the CE courses were the same 200 guys in the Valley. It was like the same group of dentists went to all the courses. And so then I decided, okay, I'm going to do this. Then I signed up for it. And I, I was upset because to get my FAGD, I had to have all these hours and like ortho and implants. So I talked to the guy, said, you don't understand. I, I don't want to do ortho. I don't want to do implants. I don't want to learn it. I just want to do fillings, crowns, bridges, you know, perio. And he put his arm around me and he said, uh, dude, he said, you need to learn it all. You can't be diagnosing ortho if you don't know. So I, I was not a happy camper, but in order to knock it out, because um, I was in Arizona at that time, there were no dental schools. I had to fly down to Pittsburgh for this oral surgery uh, implant course. You probably never heard of the speaker, uh, Carl Misch. And it was uh, <laughs> seven three-day weekends. And I completely fell in love with implantology. And, and then and then the ortho, um, Richard Litt, who was an orthodontist at um, University of California, San Francisco, then Detroit, and, and Harry Green, completely fell in love with ortho. But what I like is um, all these older FAGD, MAGDs were helping this young, stupid kid named me. And um, and then I had to do this forced curriculum that I didn't want to take, but they forced me to do it and it changed my life. And um, I, I, I just, if it wasn't for that, I don't know how I would have uh, uh, learned all the dentistry that I did. All the clinical dentistry I did was uh, that. And uh, that was the biggest game changer for me was uh, deciding I was going to get my FAGD and then my MAGD. Well, you know how you've become quite the ambassador for the Academy over the years with uh, with all your speaking and, and you're very, very uh, supportive of the organization. And we, we absolutely appreciate that. But you're so right, Howard, when you say it pushes you out of your comfort zone. Because so many of us, like you said, just want to do fillings and simple things like that. But when you're pushed out of your comfort zone, you take all that different CE, you might find something you really enjoy, obviously. But it, of course, it makes you a much more well-rounded dentist, as you found out. Yeah. And, and you know, today's kids are coming out of school. I mean, if they come out of NYU, you know, they're averaging $700,000 in debt. That's a big house payment and you don't even have a house. So when you come out of, a, of a school, four, five, six, $700,000 in debt, you don't get a house. And th that's what's crazy down here. I see them coming out of these two dental schools, uh, AT still in Mesa, Arizona and Midwestern up in Glendale, Arizona. And they got four or $500,000 uh, student loans. And then they go buy a house that big. And then they go buy, uh, uh, think they're going to work at some DSO 
or um, whatever. It's like you don't own a seven hundred thousand dollar house, and then you're an employee at a DSO. You go, you go find Section Eight housing. You get on food stamps. You go live in the poor part of town. And if you don't like your house, good. You'll work more. And when you come out of school, five hundred thousand dollars student loans, you got to pay that house off before you get a house. And in order to pay that house off, you're not going to be able to do just cleanings, fillings, exams, and x-rays and crowns. You're going to have to take a toothache and do a root canal buildup and crown or a toothache, extract it, bone graft it, place an implant in the crown. And, and if they, uh, you know, half the world wants uh, straighter teeth, that peacock thing. I mean, when we were little, just the ugliest kid got braces, you know, you had to look like you could chew corn on the cob to a chain link fence and no one would ever marry you. That's who got braces. Now, every kid gets braces in their teens. They get them again when they're 30. They get them again after they're divorced and 40 and 50. So um, I, I think you should do root canals and implants, heavy stuff like big old rocks in the morning, and then light stuff like fillings and clear aligner checks and Invisalign in the afternoon. And the only place you're going to learn all that stuff is the AGD, the AGD, and the AGD. Because if you go to uh, most courses, they're sponsored by the manufactured, and that's not always a good source of information. I mean, it can be, but I'd rather go to an unbiased AGD-supported course where they they do the filtering for you and say that this is a good source of, of information. Absolutely. Great advice there, Howard, of course. And you know, what's even worse, what you mentioned is, is a dental student marrying their classmate, right? So now they have double the debt and now they're trying to start. So we see that oftentimes too. Uh, but you know, that's a good segue into what I wanted to talk. One of the things I wanted to talk about with you, Howard, is, you know, what is some of the advice you have for some of these kids coming out? Because as you pointed out, the debt is so high, the reimbursements are coming down in many cases with these PPOs. And and the big option many times is to is to go work for the DSO and things like that. So what what are you telling these kids? Well, first of all, when, when they come out of school, that debt of $500,000 or more, I mean, go go to these dental schools. The parking lot looks like it's a BMW Lexus car lot. I mean, the, so they're, they're buying $70,000 cars on student loans. There's spring breaks. When you were on spring break, did you used to buy a, a plane ticket and go on a cruise somewhere? I mean, they live high on the hog. I can't tell you how many Mormon dentists decide, oh, I'll just borrow someone's money. I'll have a stay-at-home wife and have have a kid or two while they're in school. And then they complain about the fiber. So they're always overspending. And then they come out of school and I say, look, man, I know your dad. Your wife's pregnant. Go move in their basement. You know, live free. They're like, no, I don't want to do that. And then they go find some 2,500, 3,000 square foot home for half a million dollars. I mean, they're crazy. Uh, that generation, they're just spenders. I mean, I was lucky. You know, I got a high school in 80. And my first two years of college was the 80, 82. I mean, interest rates were 20 and a half percent. Paul Volcker, you know, was shut down the entire economy. I got out of school 130 days before Black Monday. So I got out of high school scared. I was scared of the economy in the first two years of college when I was studying business. Uh, Warren Buffett, the Oracle of Omaha, came by Creighton and lectured our class. Um, you know, so I always was saving for a rainy day. And I noticed when I was little, my dad would always point out, I'd say, why, why is, are you serious? That guy has 19 restaurants. They go, well, that, that's a depression baby. And, uh, you know, they live through the depression. They're not ever going to spend money. And um, it, it's a big impact on them. Where you look at the kids from that 94 to 2000 bubble, they just came out of school. They just thought any monkey could make money for free on the stock market. So the, these kids, the first thing I had them do is work every day. Because when you're working, you're not spending. You come out of school. They come out of school, $500,000 debt. I can speak on behalf of 
a hundred dentists in Phoenix that tell me they, I can't believe it. They, they said, oh, I didn't go to dental school to work evenings and weekends. It's like you have $500,000 and you're not going to work evenings or Saturdays. I mean, just crazy. And then there's all these Medicaid, Medicare, where they say, well, in dental school, you know, I only did two pulpotomy and chromosome crowns. Okay, well, here's a Medicaid clinic in Phoenix in the poor area town and you know they got a gazillion patients why don't you go work for them on saturday all day well i don't want to do medicaid it's like what do you mean you don't want to do medicaid you just said you only did two pulpotomies in school and the older guy in there's done probably ten thousand pulpotomies i mean they, so i see that's why the owner operators are so good and the dso's are so bad because if you're an owner operator and you got $500,000 student loans and you decide to live in a section eight housing and get on food stamps and go spend that 700,000 on a dental practice instead of a home. And then you're in that dental practice. You got skin in the game. Then when that toothache comes by, you're like, ah, man, you know, I, it's a molar root canal, but I, I, I think I'm going to try it. But when you're uh, an employee, you're like, oh, and you just sit there and write referral slips all day. And then at the end of the year, you did less molar root canals than you did in dental school that you paid $500,000 for. So I, I just see the owner operators are taking all the boys and girls that have hustle and are not fear and they're fearless. And those guys have no problem, especially if they pay attention to demographics. Now, remember, I was born in Wichita, Kansas. That pot, that city never grew because every time a girl got pregnant, a guy left town and it just stayed at 280,000. Yet Creighton and UMKC reached throwing 25 to 50 new dentists in that town. And all the dentists were showing me their numbers where their sales do pay it was going down and down. And they were telling me all the way back in high school how he get a brain, you should go where they're going. Everybody's leaving here and they're all going to Phoenix. So I wrote the Department of uh, um, Economic Security in DC and senior dental school. They said the United States in the next 20 years would create like 30 million new jobs and half of them would be in five cities. Um, it was L.A., um, San Fran area, Phoenix, Boston and uh, Tampa. And I didn't let Boston winners. I didn't want the insects in Florida. And I, growing up in Kansas, I seriously thought everybody in California was a weirdo. So I just went right <laughs> to that Phoenix and I did my demographics there. I got a six foot by four foot map. I traced out the 303 census tracts. I put a black pen for every dentist, white endodontist, orange orthodontist, green periodontist, and the population from 70 to 80 to the 85 mini centers. So I could just know the number of dentists per population. And where I went, it was the dentist for every 7,000. And, and there was an area in Scottsdale that was close to that. I gave it to one of my classmates. And you go downtown Phoenix, there's like a dentist for every 500. And by the time you got out in the suburbs, like one to 5,000, one to 6,000. And then I kept that map on the wall, kept updating it. And I remember one kid coming to me and he was telling me uh, he was going to go to North Scottsdale. I showed him how absolutely stupid that decision would be from demographics point of view. And I said, why don't you go to Maricopa? I said, they, 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 they don't have hardly any dentists. It's a one to 7,000 ratio. And he goes, Maricopa's a shithole. And I said, well, do you want to go to shithole and where they need you and be a millionaire? Or do you want to go to Scottsdale where you want to live with a bunch of hype maintenance, hootie, tootie, crazy people and starve? So you got to go demographics. Now the DSOs, they're not going rural because when you come out of dental school, you're single and you're not going to go sit in Eloy, Arizona that only has three eligible bachelorettes uh, to find your mate when you could go to Phoenix 
with a four million metro. So, I mean, the rural areas, and then you look at um, the government agencies, they do um, supply and demand um, uh, health zones and uh, medical dental specialists shortages. They've already mapped out the whole country. And when I open up Arizona, it's like, yep, I know, I know, I know, I know. So, so there's government demographics that will show you. I mean, there, there's a county in Iowa of 7,000 people, no dentists. And you want to go to downtown and you went to NYU and you say, well, I want to stay in Manhattan. Well, and, and what's crazy is oftentimes their own mother and father came all the way from Pakistan to get their children a better life. And then their children won't even go out into this rural area. It's like your mom came 15,000 miles and you won't go 50 miles out of town. I mean, so demographics, and then think about this. How 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 long is the drive going to be in driverless cars there? I'm sure within uh, five years, your your car will be a box and you'll just go get in there and go back to sleep and hit the address and you can get another hour of sleep while it drives you into work or or whatever. You're not going to be having to drive the car yourself. So demographics matter. And, um, uh, the, and the DSOs, um, I love the DSOs. I really do because um, Heartland keeps their doctors the longest. And I think it's only about two years. All the other DSOs, they can only keep them a year. If they've been out of dental school five years, they've had five different jobs at five different DSOs. So when you're an owner operator dentist, it's so easy because they always come in and say the same thing. Well, I went in there and they said I had five cavities. I went in there to have them filled and that doctor, he's no longer there anymore. And the other doctor said I needed four and he did two, went back a third time. That doctor's not, I mean, Man, when you can't keep your dentist, you're selling the invisible. They don't know what a filling root canal. When you when you go to a hotel, you know they they put a cardboard slip around the toilet because you didn't see him wash it. They put a little plastic cardboard dill around the cup. You didn't see him wash it. Dentistry is completely invisible. All they know is what's visible. And if they come into your office and every time you have a different dental assistant, I still think the most important thing I did to build my practice was kept my assistant Jan for thirty years. And they would come in and some people get so mad at me, they'd want to come in and talk to Jan. They didn't even want to talk to me. And, um, you know, so the, the DSOs are going to be in the city with big facilities and A plus marketing and advertising and finance and all that stuff. But they're going to have massive staff turnover. Um, they're not going to be able to sell the invisible. They're going to need to build up their brand to cover the invisible. I mean, I mean, even my pharmacist at Walgreens has been there 30 years. So um, I think DSOs are very, if you can't compete against a DSO, I don't know who you can't compete against. That is so true, Howard. And listen, I mean, you, you've you got such an incredible business mind. I mean, you must have been born, born like that. I mean, to do all the things that you're talking about back in the day, I mean, before we had any kind of statistics and computers weren't, weren't that really big, just amazing, Howard. But you were brought up in a strong business family, right? Your dad was a big businessman with the Sonic, I think, and things like that. So yeah, that was ingrained into you at an early age, I think. My my mom and dad got married. I don't, I don't want to say their age because I don't know if they were legal. And uh, they were Catholic and had seven kids in a weekend. And uh, we were so damn poor. My dad delivered uh, rainbow bread and he made $11,000 a year, but he saved his money because even at $11,000 a year and seven kids, he didn't spend everything he made. And he was saving up for this new franchise because after World War II, Eisenhower built the, the freeways. 
and the interstates opened up the franchise business and he saved up for a sonic driving franchise the first year he made sixty thousand, and then he opened up one a year for like nine years but he was taking me to all the sonic uh business meetings and my my sisters didn't want to go so it was just me and my dad and we and the speakers like we got to hear ray Kroc speak the founder of mcdonald's we all, all um, dan carney the founder of pizza hut uh all these people and um and I, um, so we finally got so rich that we moved into the nicest area of Wichita, which was Hidden Lakes Estates. And I moved in right next door to Kenny Anderson, a valedictorian dentist from Creighton University. Just love that guy. He's 90 years old now. And uh, my gosh, I would go to, I would go to work with my dad and make cheeseburgers and onion rings. Then I go to work with Kenny and we'd take x-rays through teeth and do root canals. And he had his own lab man making gold crowns. And I finally wrote my dental school in the seventh grade and asked him, how do I become a dentist? They told me to go to high school and take science classes. And I, I never, I never, so I had the business background from franchises. So when I was coming out of dental school, you know, I was picking my location with demographics that I learned at Sonic Drive-In. Uh, I did advertising. I mean, back then it was a whole different world. Like when I opened up in a, in a, in a Safeway Walgreens Chase Bank Pizza Hut parking lot, all the older dentists thought, would you, well, would you go to a cardiovascular surgeon who worked next door to Safeway? Or would you go down to a medical dental building by the hospital? And I'm like, dude, dude, this is not brain surgery. It's a dentist. And, you know, and, but anyway, um, times have changed now. Now everybody's in a retail center, but it's it just, it's just common business. But, you know, these, the, the dentists, the lawyers, the physicians, they just don't live below their means. And they always find the, I don't know how they do it, but they always find the most expensive wife on the planet. I mean, it's always someone who can't work, who can't eat at chain foods, has to go to private dining, can only fly first class, you know, can't go to the lake and fish. They have to go on a cruise. I mean, it's just, I mean, it's like every category. And I, I say, I say, can you show me one category where you just live at the average? They always find the one woman that's, and, and, and the reason she can't eat at a chain restaurant is because her background, you know, she grew up in a trailer um, three doors down from a meth house. And for some reason, she marries a dentist and now can only eat at uh, Ruth's Chris. I mean, yeah. so so just live below your means, man. And be careful when you walk out and you're a physician, a dentist, or lawyer, and all of a sudden some girl 10 times better than looking at you than you is all interested in you. Think to yourself, is it my face or is it my dental degree? And, and if that first date, if she doesn't even pretend to try to pay, run, just run, because they're going to get you every time. You're a nerd geek dentist and you want to know why this beautiful woman's paying attention to you. And uh, between that and your student loans and buying a practice and all that kind of stuff like that. And you're not going to and you're not going to pay back your student loans as an employee. <laughs> you're just not. No shortage of advice from the great from the great uh, Howard Ferran, that's for sure. You know, a lot of the things you talked about, Howard, were came out of your first book, Consumerist uh, uh, Roadmap. And I read that book many, many years ago, and and it was so it was so inspiring to me. All the things you did, how you worked, how you paid off your debt, how you did all those things. Um, can we still get a copy of that book? My gosh, I don't know on Amazon. Um, my my newest one was an uncomplicated business, and um, but I should get a consumerist roadmap book. I, I should look into that. And uh, but um, you know that thirty day dental MBA, um, we used to sell that on eight tracks and VCRs. Uh, these the kids listening probably don't even know what that is. 
And now it's free on YouTube. It's free on iTunes. But I went to MBA school and I recommend it to anybody. And um, and I bought my first laptop and I it was uh, two courses, three trimesters a year, two years. And I just took notes only for my dental office. And then all the school projects I did on my dental office. And when I walked out of there, I had 30 hours of um, notes. So I just knocked out my 30-day dental MBA. And I sort of got uh, MBA stuff, even though that's 98. It's just like geometry. Nothing changes with people, time, and money, a statement of income, a statement of cash flow, a balance sheet. It's all the same. People, We're not going to evolve a thousand years from now. We're going to look just like we are now, doing the same mistakes. So I, I would get that on YouTube or iTunes and uh, and watch it several times. It's a it's a fantastic series. I actually have a copy on DVD. I think I was post eight track, but I got I do have a DVD <laughs> copy of that. Uh, you know, but in your second book, like you said, uncomplicated business. Really, what you're what you're saying there is a lot of what you talked about because you like you talk about people, time, and money, and those are the three things that you have to manage. And yeah. you, you alluded to money often. You know what we just talked about, but the other two are people and money, right? You know, I could walk into a dental office and in, in less than 10 seconds, probably a nanosecond, I can tell you if that dentist is taking home three, four, five hundred thousand dollars a year because they're not. And it sounds like a library and the hygienist is afraid to diagnose because the dentist will get mad and all this stuff like that. And then you go into people who I always want to be the dumbest person in the room. When I got out of dental school, um, I put out an ad for a hygienist and it was so unfair because I was just looking for the oldest one out there. All these young girls out of school, how they knew less than I did. I knew nothing. And uh, my God, so I found this older lady who's been doing it 20 years. I found an older receptionist. You know, I, I tried to get a bunch of 60 year olds to compensate for the fact that I was 24 and knew nothing. And um, and you just got to be humble and you got to have fun. And, you know, the hygienist has got to be feel free to say, George, I don't know. I think you should crown that tooth because you got a big old filling there and it's all breaking down and I can see a cavity. Now, obviously, she's not a dentist. She's not a lawyer. And we're not going to crown it without Dr. Fran coming in to look at it. But just the freedom to talk, um, you know, to, to go in there and and I, I just can't tell you the stories I hear from hygienists. Well, he didn't want me diagnosing. It's like, what, what does he think? He works in a law firm? I mean, the guy's a weirdo. Have fun. And I'll tell you, when you sell the invisible, you know, just like when you go to a restaurant. I mean, when you when you go to a hotel, they do all these things because you didn't see him clean anything. And everything in dentistry is invisible. So what do they see? relationships they see staff turnover they see that every time they come in there it's the same bat station on the same bat time with the same bat uh, uh, assistant jan and the same hygienist I, I mean you know like right now the the new hygienist in our office has been there nine years i mean so and the dso's that's that's their failure they can't keep their doctors let alone their assistants in fact you know why a lot of the doctors quit i would say half the doctors that i know in my backyard that quit their dso's cuz they're out of school they finally had this big case they were going to do a molar root canal and they go in there and their assistants no longer there and they gave him a temp and it's like he's losing his mind he's got to do a root canal now he's got to do a root canal and his assistant he just met 2 minutes ago and when you are selling the invisible and you cannot keep your staff it is not going to go well. That's why brands were so valuable because you went to the next town. You saw, oh, that's McDonald's. I hope it's consistent like the last one. Well, in a service industry, 
the number one consistency you need is the staff relationships. So when we talk about people, time, and money, we hire really slow and we fire really fast. And, and we fire when it's toxic, this community, you know, when, when it's toxic. And, you know, I like to go into a room where the hygienist is all talkative and, and she's already asked her if they ever thought about Invisalign or this or that. And, and they come from offices where they're not allowed to talk. And it's just like a library. No one's having fun. I mean, if they're having fun and they want to come to work and no one's toxic. You know, that, you know, once they, you know, I, and going back 30 years, I have a couple of staff said that the worst part of their life, you know, they were going through a divorce. And they said the only positive thing they had in their life was coming to work because of the people there and the relationships. And, and that's why they love that place. And that dentist is back there in his private office with the door shut, not seeing how there's a psychological psychopath bully that's bullying people at the instruments or this or that and they're also usually the nicest ones to the doctor so they bring the doctor in a uh you know a starbucks and they're always they're always so nice to the doctor and then when he's in there doing a root canal he's in his office door shut they're crazy and and i'll tell you what when patients don't come back i always call them to the exam i say hey you got to help me out here i said i loved work on you i did a root canal on you but you never come back and i'm just curious that you know did you lose your insurance your job or is it something I did or my staff did? Will you just tell me why you left and never came back? And man, when you start hearing the same stories about that lady at the front desk, you know, that she would, that was just rude. I cannot, you know, and you realize, okay, wow, this lady has ran off four people last month. And then you start bringing it to her attention. Why do these people say that? And then your assistant's dragging you to the back break room saying, I've told you, I've told you she's a witch, you know, whatever. But you got to be in tune. And, and, and uh, so when the patients don't come back, when staff members quit, in fact, there's one dental office I knew real well because I love the doctor, but um, his receptionist, oh my gosh, she was a toxic nightmare. That was his favorite employee. She sucked up buttercup. She was so nice to him. Oh my God. He thought she was the greatest woman on earth and she was a nightmare and she ran off everybody that ever worked there. And so you can't, you got to make it a fun office where there's reduce your staff turnover. Don't hire people that were born in other States or their husbands in the military. You know, if they work for IBM, that stands for I've been moved. Um, you know, the, you know, the army, Navy, air force, Marines going to move everyone in every three years. But when these girls were born in your zip code and their mama lives up the street and their mother-in-law lives up the street, they're not going anywhere. And if they're good people, give them a good environment and and um, and then and I, for years, people would have problems. They call in, and I'd be right by the phone, and they go, "Well, well, Doctor Fran is standing right here. Would you like to talk to Doctor Fran?" Uh, no, just leave a message with Jan, and uh, have her call me back. They wanted to talk to the assistant about it that they've known for 10, 20 years, and I'm the dentist. So remember what they say. You know, they never remember your credentials. They only remember how you made them feel. So true, Howard. I mean, a lot of people, you know, especially younger dentists, when they come out, they're all they're thinking about skills and all these different kinds of things that you absolutely have to. But people, managing people, relationships, and hiring the right people is so important. I mean, it's the simple and most complicated. Then, then, then the other thing is uh, living on the edge. I mean, I cannot tell you the first 10 years, of course you want to refer out everything because everything scares you. And you can't walk out of school and do an all-on-four but you can start doing a uh, place an implant on a maxillary bicuspid and, you know, you just keep up the AGD, the MAGD, but you got to keep pushing yourself. And if there's nothing on your schedule this week that makes you wake up in the middle of the night or sweat a little on the weekend, you're not in, in the profit zone. 
You got to keep pushing yourself, pushing yourself. That's what a coach does. Well, who's the coach? Some people, I sort of got all, all they went to dental school for is to find the reason why they can't do it. And I got to remember to remind everybody in dental school, 50% of the population of America lives in a small rural town without any of the 12 specialties. There's no specialist in Beeville, Texas. You know, you're not going to find it. So you got to do these procedures. Now, if you want them to drive an hour into Corpus, I know what they're going to, half of them are going to do. They're going to say, ah, I'll just pull it. It's like, well, why didn't you try? There's no endodontist here. And when you tell them to drive an hour to Corpus or an hour and a half to San Antonio, they just pull it. But why aren't you trying it? You know, push yourself. And that schedule, I swear to God, when you go home at the other day and you look at your schedule, that there's got to be at least one thing. It's like, ah, yeah, I might need to, I think I'm going to get here a little early and lay out the, the healing gap and uh, make sure I'm all ready for this. I mean, that's how you're growing. And the minute is just same old, same old, same old. You're not growing and you're, and if you're not growing, you're getting it ran over from behind. That is so true, Howard. That is so true. And, you know, before you were talking about Selling the Invisible, great book, Harry Beckworth, I think it is, or Harry yeah. Beckwith, right? Yep. Tremendous book, tremendous read there. Um, Howard, let me shift gears. Let me ask you a question. So I read uh, today earlier um, that the salary, if you look back at the salaries in dentistry, it's about 230000 10, 12 years ago. It's less than that now. And we've got a lot of competition. We've got, you know, managed care. We've got DSOs. We have, you know, some say maybe we're going to a single payer. Where do you think, what do you think the future holds for, for dentistry? Well, 2005, you're absolutely correct. 2005 was the highest year for general dentists. That was 219,378. It's gone down every year uh, to 2009. 2010 went up a little bit, but now it's, it's down below 174. But when you look in those numbers, um, where the numbers are um, going up is especially. So look, look at DSOs. For the first 10 years, they thought, oh yeah, we'll, let, we'll, we'll teach them how to, these general young dentists, how to place implants and do root canals. And every time one failed, they go to the board, they get sued. So now, now there's a state where they're only allowing endodontists to do their molar root canals, and they're only allowing oral surgeons and periodontists to place their implants. So now more than ever, you go to work at a DSO, and all you're going to do is fillings and, and simple crown and bridge. And so I'm telling you, when you come out of school, um, endodontics, I mean, orthodontics, periodontists, I mean, or all the specialties, um, all, all the specialties are going to make so much money. Like the average specialist um, in uh, is like 175 for a general dentist. It's over 335 uh, for um, the uh, specialist. Uh, let me, let me put it to another way. Um, the average net income for dentists, dental specialists is 320. General practitioners, 197. These are the last numbers I've had. And dentists who own their practice made 244. Dentists who were employees made 147. So you're going to make $100,000 a year more working for yourself. And you're going to make $100,000 a year more being a specialist. Oral surgeons are the rarest. They're getting 448. Perio, 330. Endo, 307. Pediatric dentist, 304. Orthodontist, 289. Prostodontist, 219. So I would say that you have to just follow the advice. You got to work for yourself. You know, if you can become a specialist, great. If you can't become a specialist, next one is thing is work for yourself. That's an extra 100000 Every dentist I know who takes home over five. $100,000 a year is the only dentist in a town of like 
4,000 or one of four. And you know what they do? The genius ones in the small towns are like 10 or 12,000. Let's say I'm the young guy and you're, and you're going to retire. And what, what, you're going to put your practice up for sale and, and, and get some young whippersnapper like me that I got to compete with my whole life. And they say, oh, no, 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 I'll buy you out and merge your places. And so now, so when they got to that, that town of 10,000, there were 10 dentists. And every five, six, seven years, the old guy retires and they would buy them and move them in. And he says he wants to retire in two years, but he doesn't. His wife decides she wants to redecorate for the 10th time, another car, another vacation, a kid needs money. And so they just stay there. So it's third party endorsement. They move to you. And now, now he's um, 60 and that town had 10 dentists when he was uh, moved in town. And now there's 10 dentists and five of them work for him. And they're all the retired ones that sold the practice. They're just this one mega office where everybody's been, it's all relationship driven. That's all it is, is relationships. So I would, I would follow the demographics. Um, and like say the, the health and human services have already mapped out every place there's a need. There, there's a county in Iowa of 7,000 people without a dentist. And when you tell dentists, they're like, yeah, but but I, I love Kansas City and I'm a Royals fan and I love the plaza. It's like, yeah, and there's a dentist on every corner. Why can't you go be a millionaire baller in some small town in Iowa? And then, and then you can come down here and stay at the Hyatt Regency. You could run a suite. You could drive a fancy car. I mean, uh, you know, and I know other dentists that became, um, I know two dentists that are my age that got out of school. It's so rural that they actually got a small little Cessna um, airplane uh, because they didn't like the three hour drive to where they wanted to play. One wanted to play in LA and he was living in Bakersfield. Another one wanted to play at um, the lakes and, uh, but was living in St. Joe and they, they just got little airplanes. And, uh, but the bottom line is, man, do your demographics and the, the rich part of town uh, uh, big cities is flooded. The poor part of town's wide open and the rural is uh, missing in action. And uh, like, like I say, I could drive you to five towns in Arizona that have several thousand people. They don't even have a dentist. Wow. That's unbelievable. Yeah. You go what? there, there's no advertising. You don't need to advertise. You just, you just open your door and your book. That's great advice. And, uh, and, and yeah, that's tre tremendous advice. Going back to the DSOs, Howard, do you think it's, it's partly unrealistic expectations by the students coming out of school or unlist unrealistic expectations uh, by the DSO or from the DSO. I mean, where do you think that disconnect is there? Because well, I think it's there. Yeah. Well, first of all, on LinkedIn, you know, I, I'm a DDS and I have an MBA and I'm known for business and dentistry. So I'm always getting these, um, these um, Wall Street guys sending me flyers or paper and Excel telling me what, what's wrong. But anyway, the bottom line is they're, they're, they're not profitable. And, um, and they had zero interest rates from 2008 and there's some of these big deals, these very big DSOs that have sold in the last five years, the biggest one in Arizona, hint, hint, hint. The whole thing was sold where the total cost and closing costs was all financed. And so a lot of this growth uh, was because of, of cheap money. And if I can borrow money at nearly zero cost and I can roll things up, look, look at Yellow Freight. Yellow Freight was uh, buying mergers and acquisitions, all the other trucking industries, but they weren't integrating them or merging them in. They were just buying another trucking company and pretty soon they owned like four or five trucking companies, but it was all on low cost loans. 
and their margins are low and then interest rates go up and they just file for bankruptcy and yellow is gone. These DSOs, I guarantee you, I guarantee if we had a 2008 correction, half of them would be gone because the pool of free, low cost, no cost money is gone. And now they're going to have to start making money the old fashioned way. They're going to have to be profitable. Think about this. You know, a lot of these DSOs, they, they take 14% off the top. Well, how my lab, my lab and supplies is 14%. I mean, are they going to give you free lab and supply? So you're just going to add another lab and supplies bill to your overhead? And, and, and that's supposed to give you scales of economy for what? I mean, how does that give you a scale of economy when someone says, hey, do you like your crown and bridge bill? How would you like to double it? Hey, you like buying supplies from Shine? How would you like to double it? That's what we're that's what we're gonna add to your overhead each month. And they're not showing, I mean, I mean, what the scales of economy, what you can pick locations, build buildings, access to capital, uh, great marketing, social media, television ads. I get all that, but what clinical dentistry, you can't keep your dentist. The dentist turnover, the 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 uh, no. I mean, I have seen I have seen companies dental companies that do not make net. And by the way, whenever they talk, whenever they say EBITDA, tr just, just translate that to bullshit <laughs> earnings. And that's a quote from um, Charlie Munger. Yeah. And Warren, Warren Buffett says that if you say EBITDA, the, the chance that you're, he's not saying everybody says that is fraudulent, but so far everyone he's met that uses the term EBITDA is fraudulent earnings before interest taxes, depreciation, amortization. I'm sorry. Interest isn't a cost amortization, depreciation. I mean, why don't you just say earnings before uh, payroll, rent, mortgage, equipment, build out, insurance, supplies, and interest. I mean, it's just the reason they use EBITDA is because they can't tell you what their overhead is. And and it's, and it's a lot of them aren't even profitable. And like I say, when I saw one of the largest DSOs in Arizona ever to sell and the buyer didn't have one penny in the game. It was all finance, even the closing costs is finance. And that's all done when interest rates are nothing. And now the uh, the inflation is uh, coming home to roost. I saw it last in 1980 and Paul Volcker got rid of it. And I, I it was gone. It was gone for four decades. Now I'm 60 years old and it's going to come back. And if it comes back like it did last time, and last time it came back, it started to come back. And then the Fed eased up. And then it came back again, a little stronger in the Fed, uh, tamed it knees up, and then it came back and almost killed. And that's when Paul Volcker said, no, when you see inflation, you kill it. So I know those guys at the Fed know the history of inflation. And when you take $5 trillion of COVID relief and helicoptered out in buckets um, after you hadn't had a correction for 14 years, uh, Wall Street doesn't even know that interest is a, is a cost. And uh, I, I think that... Um, if I was going to open up my own dental office and I thought there was a crash around the corner, I would wait because I think there's going to be a hell of a lot of dental offices for sale. I think you could probably get dental locations uh, for the price of just taking over the lease. Uh, it's so the the overbuilt capacity in the big cities by these DSOs is insane. So what do you say to the folks that are about at the tail end of their career and they're getting ready to sell? Because that's a pretty, pretty frightening scenario that you just painted there. Well, that, that I mean, you know, something can't be all good without being all bad. I mean, it's a, you can't have up without down, right without left, forward without back. DSOs are great for, um, I love the fact that Aspen, they they follow the Medicare path. They, they, they have, they're the only one with the clinical focus. They, they're going for the poor. They got a dental person. I lost my uncle to Aspen because he goes, well, Howard, if I go to your office, 
Um, you're going to make it come in the morning. I don't have my teeth all day. And I come at the end of the day, pick it up. But Aspen does it right there while you wait. And I said, I know, punk. I can't, I can't compete with that. And, um, but all the rest are just going into the suburbs. They're looking for a $75,000, you know, um, minimum income housing. You know, I mean, it's, they're all going to the same suburbs, chasing the same rich soccer mom that has Delta Dental and Blue Cross and Blue Shield and all that kind of stuff. Um, but um, again, I, I would, uh, um, they're, they're great liquidity. I mean, you can you can sell them your practice and they'll buy it for a, a lot more. But I think the better thing is uh, um, uh, carry. I mean, so you, you could get $3 for your practice. Your practice worth a dollar when I sell it to the young kid and he signs a 10-year lease. Well, the only the only uh, variable in real estate is, is a tenant. And now you have this tenant in there that he just signed a 10-year, a um, he bought your practice. If you finance it to him at 10%, now you got another dollar. Uh, GMAC financing has made $3 for every one that GM made. So now you got a kid who wants it. You sell this practice for a dollar, but you carry it 10 years, 10%. And then when he's done with that, now he, you own the land and building. So now you sell him the land and building and then you finance that. I mean, you can get three or $4 out of a dollar sell. But what's, what's cool is you just gave an opportunity to a young kid and you're supposed to treat other people like you want to be treated. Think of it as an adopted baby. My God, when I put my practice up for sale, you know what? how many DSOs wanted to hang that trophy on their deal? Well, Howard went with us. I could have doubled my money, but I sold it to a real dentist who wants to practice and is a real family dentist that I still go to and works on my teeth. I wasn't going to sell my soul uh, to the devil to get twice the money. I mean, I mean, I don't want my kids going to uh, a dentist where the dental assistants are trained to look at my mouth and count for crown opportunities. And, uh, and they don't do DO directs when they could do a Cirac inlay and cement it. I mean, I, I just want good old fashioned dentistry for my four kids and my eight grandkids. I wouldn't get to sell to anybody who I couldn't go there and I couldn't refer my 10 year old granddaughter, Taylor Marie to go there. And if, and if I don't want Taylor going there, I'm not selling to you. So I would do, I, if I was you, I would, I would get a, a, a mentor. I would mentor a young kid, give him, give him some opportunities, some kid from the hood and sit there and sell the practice a dollar. And, and by the way, um, doc, when you're buying a practice, think about this. I'm buying a practice. I got two offers. Howard says, um, he'll buy it, uh, but um, he'll sell me his practice, but he wants all the money up front. George says, well, I'll, I'll sell it to you. I want half down and I'll carry the other half for five years. Well, now the seller's got skin in the game. So if I call up George, say, hey, George, you remember that patient Mary Lou? And he's like, how can you forget crazy Mary Lou, craziest woman in Iowa? Well, she's all set. Let me come schedule her, schedule her tomorrow. You know, I'll come in, I'll adjust her denture. Whatever. They got skin in the game. Now, when you're at church, when you're at the grocery store, when you're at Costco, you're telling your friends, oh my gosh, I'm so glad I saw this kid. You know, my eyes were getting old. My hands weren't as good. He's got better eyes, better hands. He's the only dentist I go to. So when you are selling, so so that's how it was when I was a kid. Everybody buying a practice, the owner carried. Now they moved all that to Skank of America. And uh, is it Bank of America or Skank of America? I, I always get those two confused. And, and now you have a professional loan department. Now the seller, they'll they'll sell it to anybody. I mean, they'll just sell it to anybody. They're they're not they're not looking at that. I mean, if you're putting your own baby up for adoption. You wouldn't let anybody adopt it for the highest dollar. You'd make damn sure who was adopting your baby. 
And uh, so I like the old way better. I know that's what every grouchy 40 old 60 year old says, but when the owner carried, he was there for you. He had skin in the game. He was still building your practice. Uh, whenever you got in, in over your head and giving him good moral advice, like, what do you mean you broke the file and didn't tell the patient? What is wrong with you? You know, you get back on the phone right now and you tell him that you forgot to tell him you, you, there's nothing illegal about breaking a file and a tooth, but it is illegal not to tell someone. I mean, everything breaks, your car breaks, every engine breaks down. Hell, my refrigerator broke down. Um, things break, but it's, it's how you handle it. Same with staff. Um, and, and then when you buy that old man's practice, and he, he financed the whole thing through Wells Fargo. And now all the staff decides to retire and quit. And then everybody in the town saying, well, you know what? When that guy bought the practice, do you realize, oh, old Jan that was there for 30 years, she instantly quit. And Mary Sue quit. Everybody quit. I I, I think there's something wrong with that guy. You know? Spot on, Howard. I couldn't agree with you more. That's the way I did. That's the way it worked for me when I, you know, when I came into the business and uh, that's, that's just tremendous advice at all, as always, you know, Howard, we're out of time. I wish I could have you on and speak with you all afternoon. Just really a thrill to have you on the program. Uh, and I hope you come back and maybe we can chat again sometime. Anytime, George. And thank you for all that you do for the AGD. Again, thanks again, Howard. Really appreciate it. Howard, if anybody uh, wants to reach out to you or has a question, is there any way, that, any contact information with you or your staff you want to share? Howard at dentaltown.com. Um, that's my only email, Howard at dentaltown.com or um, see you on Dentaltown, post on Dentaltown. Perfect. Excellent. Thanks so much. And we want to thank our producer, Kristen Gover. If you like what you heard, please like and subscribe to our channel. You can always find us on the AGD app, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Apple Podcasts. If you have any questions, concerns, comments, or suggestions, contact us at news at agd.org. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time. All right, George. Thanks a lot, buddy. Thank you, Howard.